Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active and off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Tread victoriously. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Rance McFarland. Rance is one of the most well-known characters you'll find up at Uncle Tom's Cabin over the last uh, 10 to 20 years. He's retired, worked as a bridge builder in construction, but since retiring, he's been kind of the captain, super foreman, volunteer crew leader up at Uncle Tom's Cabin on the Georgetown Divide, and that's on the way into the Rubicon. And it's a place I first went sometime in the early 80s, and I, uh, I've always enjoyed it up there, and Rance and I became friends quite a few years ago. So, Rance, I want to say thank you for coming on board and uh, talking about your history and maybe some of the history of uh, Uncle Tom's as well. Thank you. Uh, pretty much, uh, like you said, been up Uncle Tom's for uh, last 20 plus years. I've I've been one of the yearly cabin rental people. Uh, most of the yearly cabin people rentals are people that uh, do volunteer and kind of do what it kind of takes to keep that uh, crown jewel going. Excellent. So let's uh, let's step way back. Well, you're about the same age as I am, or but we're uh, we're pretty dang close in age. So where did you grow up, and where were you born? Well, I was born in Vallejo. Okay. But uh, my dad was actually kind of working. Well, most of his career was with Tykert Construction, and actually he was uh, started out as a truck oil, truck crane oiler and then became an operator, and they actually was doing a bridge job uh, over 99 and discovered Elk Grove and thought that it was pretty neat central area, and next thing you know, moved the family to Elk Grove, so... About pretty much since I was two, went all the way through high uh, school in Elk Grove, graduated, uh, pretty much raised my identical twin boys there, started there. I mean, a lot of, lot of, lot of time in Elk Grove, but family had history up in Placerville, Camino area, uh, always enjoyed going up towards the Crystal Basin area. My parents loved that area took us camping and stuff there. And as far as wheeling, that's kind of how struck my interest was being able to go with my dad the first time to, in the sixties, probably on a Jeepers Jamboree and stopping at uncle Tom's and, uh, getting kind of the bug of the Jeeps did, didn't just was amazed as a kid, what that vehicle could traverse and do up there on the Rubicon Trail. Right. Absolutely. And you were only in Vallejo for, well, you were in diapers, basically. So then the rest of it was Elk Grove. Elk Grove was pretty rural at that point, was it not? Very rural. Very rural. Uh, uh, Pretty amazing to grow up in that area there because, I mean, you're talking before five went all the way through and, Highway 50, you ended up going through actually Folsom, Ranch Cordova before you hit the main freeway going up towards Placerville. Yeah, all those stoplights. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, 
I mean, the fields and the ranches, I mean, having access for hunting, fishing, and, you know, before I got my license, pretty much, pretty much going out to the ranches is where I learned to drive and be in some of the Jeeps just out there on the ranches, you know, working it, working sometimes at the ranches, you know, probably, you could probably consider that almost my first jobs is ranch hand work. Right. And that, that Elk Grove area, um, people aren't, that aren't familiar with that, that's south of Sacramento along 99, um, Interstate 5, you know, kind of fills in across that area. Um, it's, uh, it's been known for quite a few years as putting out some really good youth football teams. Um, when I coached in Napa and in Pacifica, um, we always were hearing about the Elk Grove football teams with Pop Warner being so strong and everything. But, you know, that's another story. Um, so <laughs> yeah. when growing up there, you know, you, you said you went through, you know, basically from two years old through high school and raising your kids there and stuff. So working out in rural areas like that, farms, you're you're driving tractors probably getting into some you know pickup trucks and four-wheel drives moving stuff around but what did you what did you do for your own personal commute you know did you have like a little motorcycle or bicycle what'd you uh what'd you have time to do definitely uh uh bicycles were a big thing to get out into the fields to build the tree forts and uh elk grove had what they it's i don't know if it's still there or not tell you the truth but we had the fish fish hatchery right we even built little makeshift campers to go on our wagons and pull over there to go fishing at the ponds you had laguna creek um so yeah doing i mean there was so much to do as a kid. I mean, you know, you're my age. I mean, we were, I was a generation where, you know, before all the electronic type stuff there is, you just came in the house when the street lights came on there, you know? Yeah, that was basically our call home. Yep. <laughs> but definitely there was the, the little, I remember my Dad got uh, uh, one Pontiac, an old 50s Pontiac, and an old tow truck, but it was an electric go-kart. Had wow. to charge the batteries. And then there was the mini bike era there for me there. Uh, it seemed like all the kids were, if you had a newspaper route or some way of, of uh, earning a few bucks, um, you know, saved to, to go that route. Right. Uh, my dad uh, did try to do something with uh, each one of us boys. I had two brothers, two sisters. Um, my one brother, my dad got him into quarter midgets, and I leaned towards the motocross. I did motocross for a while, started out with the old Hadaka bike, eventually ended up going to a 250 Mako kind of the era of the Europeans motorcycles were dominating uh, the American bikes there, but eventually got out of that. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. And then as you said, my, my dad had some racing background, started out with hard tops uh, kind of uh got into guys um, that he worked with that ran the super modifieds up to the sprint car era. I remember kind of high school days spending a lot of time at the old West Capitol Speedway. Okay. Um, and then also um, my dad's buddies kind of got him into jeeping. And that was actually the first time that I actually saw Uncle Tom's is because we came in. And that's when the Jeeps parked in the middle of the road. You stayed the night uh, and you got up and got in line and and uh, got your sack lunch and they headed up towards the trail and with Uncle Tom's. And th to this day, there's so many, so much of the off-road community that support that and stop there, which we did also there. So 
that was kind of my bug of of the Jeep in part. <laughs> yeah, I think I think those guys that come up Ice House Road off of fifty and bypass Toms are really missing out on a chunk of history. You know, I mean if you're going up there, you know, the road now is paved, of course, you know, except for the the actual property. But you know, you can still imagine what that road was like when it was all dirt and you know, you just it was dusty at that time of year. And you know, you just made it up there, got a cold beer, you know, at Uncle Tom's and then continued the trip over the Heartless and past Cold Spring and out into the Rubicon. And uh I I can't can't for the life of me figure out why people go up Ice House Road and bypass it. Just doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, I, it's kind of funny. Um, there's a couple of clubs, you know, particular the Auburn Jeep Club. A bunch of those guys, they think that it's deja vu if you bypass Tom's on your way up. <laughs> right, I do. I mean, I don't care what time of day or night it is. I'll, you know, if the gate is open, um, you know, I'll drive in, or unless there's a sign or you know you know, up saying that the, that it's closed at the moment, you know, I'll always drive through. So, but, uh, what about, what about in, in high school? Did you play any sports? Were you really academic? Were you just kind of did your own thing and hanging out in the countryside? I, I definitely, uh, um, enjoyed sports. Uh, uh, my era of junior high was the first year that we had a freshman freshman football team and like you were even mentioned Elk Grove being so strong with a Pop Warner program uh, I did not play Pop Warner so when I got even into freshman football I mean we had a lot of already talent from the a lot of guys that had their years with Pop Warner and uh, uh, that that was the last year that that the, Joseph Kerr had the ninth grade. The next year they went to the new high school, but uh, um, baseball um, in high school did a little track. I did long jump, high jump. Uh, but uh, school, you know, I was just your average guy <laughs> right there. Uh, um, but definitely enjoyed sports there. Um, and like I said, I mean, back then, there was just so many things that you could do and go and drive to when I finally even got my license. I mean, all the rope swings and the Consumerist River and all that there. I mean, definitely things to do for someone growing up there and during that generation. Right. So, you know, the movie American Graffiti was... Uh was based on the Modesto area back in the 60s. And I grew up, you know, in the 70s driving, and we cruised El Camino, you know, from like San Francisco, the border of San Francisco, or San Francisco, all the way down to San Jose at times, and turn around and come back, back and forth, up and down. And, uh, you know, but gas was, you know, 24 cents a gallon or something like that, not seven dollars or whatever we're paying now up here but we're uh what about when you were first driving was the cruising scene still ha- was it happening in that area because you're not elk Grove's not that far out of stockton or sacramento no. so i'd imagine you know that that valley area they, oh, there was a lot of hot rods definitely uh lodi was a big cruise yes so all the guys that you know had the hot rods and the and the uh, muscle cars. There's definitely I grew up in the muscle car car era. era. Um, very common uh, for Lodi, and it was very common even the downtown K Street cruise. Okay, definitely we took our cars down there. Awesome. And what was your uh... What'd you get your driver's license in? What'd you take your driver's license test in? 
in high school, we had actually the driver's ed. Right. So um, I was able to get, you know, do all the testing and the, the homework and stuff there uh, through school. And uh, my sister had a 66 Mustang uh, six-cylinder that I took my test in downtown DMV. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I I did the driver's ed in in school too. They they had these simulators that were the dumbest thing ever. And then, uh, of course, you know, we'd take out the I don't know it was a Ford Granada or some stupid thing. You know, it was a four door. I just remember that because we loaded kids in the back. You know, the instructor in front, three in back, and then uh, whoever was driving. So you'd four per car, and we'd go out and. And uh, dry, terrorize the streets around the, the high school. <laughs> was that pretty much what you just said, Rich? Is what <laughs> what we had to the simulators. The school teachers were the the te- uh, that did the the driver's ed, and just like you said, I mean, usually had at least two, three, if not four, depending on the car. Um, take you out on the highway, do the back roads of. Elk Grove, and sometimes if you were lucky, a teacher would take you actually downtown. Nice. <laughs> so I I got to take my test in a Datsun 240Z. And, oh wow! Uh, it was a it was a manual, which didn't bother me because that's what I learned to drive in anyway. But it was pretty cool. I remember the guy, the tester, came out and said whose car is this? And I went, oh, it's mine. It wasn't. It was a friend of my mom's, but she volunteered her car. And so uh, the guy gave me this stink eye, you know, and I think he tried to be hard on me on the test, but it didn't work. I still passed. (laughs) So, well, I had uh, at DMV when I first did my driving test, I had a guy that I think I was pretty much screwed from the beginning there because as soon as I told him that I was from Elk Grove, he said, you kids, they keep you out in the country. You've never done any in-town driving and stuff there. And I could tell right off the get-go when he had me do some parallel parking, some downhill parking in downtown. When when I came back, uh, pretty much knew it that he failed me the first time. That sucks. There, but second time went by in a breeze. Yeah, we went up. What I did is my dad took me up like two weeks before I was supposed to take the, you know, I made an appointment or whatever it was. You know, maybe it was again the, the two weeks before when it, we, we'd made arrangements to do it, whatever. And we drove all around the DMV up in, um, God, where was it? It was up on almost San Francisco, South San Francisco, somewhere up in there. But we drove all around the neighborhoods and, you know, for a couple of hours so that I knew where all the stop signs were, where the where the hardest places to parallel park were at, all that kind of stuff. And there was one tricky corner that was a no right-hand, no, no right-hand turn on a red light. And it was a little tiny sign before the intersection. And I saw that, and my dad pointed out and says, hey, if he takes you down the street, remember, you know, remember, don't make a right-hand turn on a red light here. Sure as shit, the guy, one of the first things the guy did was took me around the block, come up to that light, and he goes, okay, I want you to make a right turn at the next, at the light up here. And so I pulled up, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and he goes, what are you waiting for? And I said, well, there was a sign back there that said no right-hand turn on a on a red light. And he goes, oh, yeah, there is, isn't there? You know, and I thought, you bastard. Trying to get you. <laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> he did stop me. That's pretty me. much what that first guy was trying to <laughs> do me, man. I mean, he, he, it was almost like he wanted to fail me. Oh, yeah. I think that, <laughs> I think, you know, if you go in there with a little bit of attitude or, you know, like you said, in, you know, you're a farm boy you know, from the farm country of the area, and then you go into the big city, they're going to try to mess with you. (laughs) So then uh, high school is, uh, you know, you've got, you said you have kids. 
You raised your kids down there. Did you, uh, how soon out of high school did you get married? Um, not too long. I, <laughs> I, I think I was married at, at 20. Okay. I actually owned, bought my first house when I was uh, 20 years old in Old Town Elk Grove. Wow. Congratulations. That's uh, kind of a, kind of a, just uh, a deal that kind of fell in my lap. Uh, my dad called me cause I was actually renting and he asked me about a house being for sale on the same street and I didn't see any signs. So I walked down and saw the address and saw that it was this neat little corner house and there happened to be the owner actually working on a hot water heater and asked him uh, if this was a place for rent or for sale. And um, he uh, he said it sure is and kind of did did a tour, said that he was carrying his own papers and I was just recently married. He goes, I know how hard it is for a young couple starting out these days. Asked me what I was paying for rent down the street. He knew the owner that was renting that house and kind of just threw out uh, a price, which was twenty seven five for a house. Wow. And uh, said, I tell you what, if you put this much down, I'll carry the papers. And I, at the time I was making, a, I think I was renting for 250 bucks a month. And he goes, I'll tell you what, if, if, if you do it, I'll make your first year 200 and 250 after that. And it was kind of like a no brainer, but at the time, you know, I mean, I think he wanted like, I don't know, $3,500 down or something like that there. Well, that's at the time that I was making $7 an hour and, and I just didn't have a bank account there. So went to my parents, went to friends and, uh, muscled up the down payment and made it happen. Well, that's pretty good. That's pretty awesome that the guy would carry the, the note like that for you. Um, that's always yeah, a dream I mean, that something like that happens. Well, I mean, you know, I was fortunate and owning a house that young, I mean, it, it allowed me to, you know, make the steps to keep on getting better and better house. Right. And, and the other thing is, is it really tight? Rent is one thing, but a house payment is a completely different frame of mind and mindset. You know, you can, you go, you know, if you, if you're, if you're strapped and you're going, man, I just don't want to pay my rent. You know, I can't pay my rent right now. You know, you can put it off for a little bit. House payments, they don't, you know, they don't let that shit slide typically. No. <laughs> so, you know, you really, I think it really makes you grow up fast when you have that, a house payment like that, but good on you. That's awesome. So then you were working, uh, in the, in at that time, making seven bucks an hour, what kind of job were you doing? I was working for the garbage service there in town. Okay. We actually, we, there for a while, Oak Grove had its own dump. And right around the corner on Bond Road, there was the yard where we had our garbage trucks and stuff there where we met and fired them up each morning. And I started with the carrying cans on your back when I started, but eventually it went to a, toucan curbside and then eventually um independent sold out to a company out of lodi and i was one of the first drivers because we had the contract for the city of galt and they turned the city of galt to the automated truck so out of that company i was the first one to learn the fully automated trucks there um but i kind of didn't get along with some of the management down there and decided to go elsewhere. And what'd you do then? That's when I, that's when I leaned towards uh, getting into the labor's union and work in construction. So you were a union, you were a union worker. I am retired labor's labor's union out of 185 out of Sacramento. Retired. Cool. Pulling their pension. Excellent. So you, you started with the laborers union, the old pick and shovel, um, 
I had some guys from the union come out to a job construction site that we were doing, a HUD project, and there was like four of them. And I told them, hey, there's a Connex box around the around the, the back of the building. Um, you guys go out and, you know, grab some tools and come on back here. We got some work to do to prep for, for sod. And about 20 minutes later, nobody had shown back up yet. So I walked over there and these guys were arguing and they were arguing over who was going to take the broom. And I told them, <laughs> I told them to take off their hats because they all had the, the labor's union, you know, logo on their hat. And I said, now look at your hat. What do you see? I said, do you see a broom on it? And they just looked at me, you know, dumb stare. And I said, okay, grab a pick and a shovel. I get the broom. (laughs) 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 But but that was, but I was in the, I was in the union too. I worked in a split shop at the time doing landscaping. Um, So from, uh, from that you got into, you said you started working in the bridge construction. Is that correct? Yeah. uh, You know, I mean, Doing underground, um, okay. you kind of have to get as much hours as you can to bank your health and welfare and all that stuff there. Uh, and uh, come wintertime, I mean, depending on the winters, I mean, sometimes you'd have that wet winter where you're drawing your unemployment and and uh, waiting for it to dry up to go back to work. and it just so happened that uh, there was uh, uh, Benco Bridges, which their yard was in Elk Grove. Um, I saw their trucks, and they had a pretty good-sized project from about Elk Grove down towards Galt, widening 99 and stuff there, and just happened to pull in a gas station where I recognized a truck, asked them if they were union, asked them if they used laborers, and... I talked about that job, and I, they said, hey, we're running it right out of our yard. So I showed up there with my lunch hard hat vest one Friday, and just kind of perfect timing. They were they were about ready to do uh, some approach slab pours there out there on the freeway, and they were shy a couple of guys, and one of their foremen was on vacation, and the main guy that was running that job uh, the yard guy kind of told me, you know, as he came in and approached him and said, Hey, looking for work. And the guy asked me a few questions and asked me if I had any concrete experience, which I did from working on the Helms Creek underground project was, was, uh, a little stint that I did too, out of the, out of the union. And, um, yeah, all said, and, uh, uh, that started, bridge career I, I didn't look back i mean bunch of hardcore redneck guys um dedicated to what they did and um yeah the camaraderie between the bridge hands there was just awesome and something that i actually enjoyed doing and i mean running up and down california here i mean as going on multiple freeways i mean it's kind of neat to go by and say hey man i helped with that you know so right yeah that's pretty cool so one of the things that that i remember that drove me that kind of drove me nuts about the union was the hall was that you it was really hard you weren't supposed to go out and approach anybody you were supposed to sit and wait until you got called Yes. And, and I, that just drove me nuts. And I worked for a company and they put me in the, into the hall, into the union. There was three of us in the shop that they put into the union so that we could bid union jobs. Okay. And, and I don't know if how, how legal that was or anything, but we had our steady job, so we didn't have to worry about it. But guys, you know, guys would come up and they would go, okay, well, how long, how long do you need somebody? I want to say, oh, I need somebody for like five days. Well, I don't want to do five days. I'm either going to do three, because if I do three or less, I, I can stay at the front of the line. If I do five, I have to go to the back of the line. You're exactly right. I mean. That sucks. Some, some hall hands, 
I, I dealt with it because um, once I was in the bridge industry and I saw that I liked it, uh, superintendents and other foremen saw that I liked it, and I was approached by a couple other foremen and superintendents that said, hey, you want to step up your game, become a foreman, and instead of just being a hand, and, you know, with Tykert, when I was with Tykert, it was almost seniority over there. You had to kind of work your way up the ladder with the bridges. It was like how hard you worked and how good a product you could produce and um, if you could run a crew there. And uh, so I wasn't even with them for a year and I was, I was made a foreman. And so, you know, next, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hand pick kind of hands there um, because you want, a good reliable crew you know and i saw that how that worked in the bridges right off the get-go and uh like you said with the union you got you if you want a hand you call in and request for a hand you might ask for a bridge experience there but hard telling what you're going to get i mean through my career i mean i could pretty much tell right off the, the first time that i met a guy if if he was going to be worth a damn or not. Yeah. There. yeah. <laughs> I remember one time, one of the, one of the, uh, was working on a, a HUD project, a, 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 um, a set of, uh, low income housing. And it was in the Sacramento area. And we were at a spot on there where we were waiting for the electricians to do some of their stuff and the plumbers to do some of their stuff. And we didn't need, I mean, there was hardly any work for me to do at that point. And I was like, me and one other guy were on the job site. And we were just making sure that as the electricians went along, they didn't mess up what we had to do, you know. And we were watching so that we knew where everything was supposed to be at right and that kind of stuff. And the guy from the hall comes out and goes, well, you have to hire five guys next week. And we're like, we don't have work for five guys. It doesn't matter. You five guys or we're shutting you down. And I was like, what What kind of bullshit is that? Did you ever come yeah. across any of that kind of stuff? Well, yeah, I mean, especially uh, towards the end of my career, uh, it was getting very hard to find hands that had any drive and and – Pride and and work there, but uh, um, you know, as far as the union, Rich, I mean, I never went to one union meeting, never went to one Christmas party, one picnic, which they have multiple of. Right. I just I paid my dues. You got your and, retirement. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, knowing that. You know, if I stick with this, at least I'm going to get a pension out of, out of this. Uh, um, and uh, like I say, I mean, uh, in the bridges, I stayed busy. Um, I don't think out of my last 26, 27 years with bridges, um, even during the wet stuff when we did have to shut down, um, I never once collected unemployment. I had enough, I would get enough days and, and stuff there to, um, at least survive. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I can always tell the guys that like yourself or like me that worked in it, you know, we may have been union, but I mean, my situation was different. I didn't, it didn't matter to me because I knew I wasn't staying there that long. I ended up becoming a contractor myself, but the, the guys that, that were hustlers that would go out that worked like you did and went and, and looked for work or worked in a shop for a long time, you know, they were, they weren't, they didn't rely on the hall and stand in line and it's a, a big difference, but man, it's, it's so prevalent in, at least in the laborers union out of Sacramento is what I noticed. But of course, again, that was in the, the mid eighties. 
yeah. the late 80s. And I don't know what it's like now. So anybody out there that's in the laborers union or any union, I'm not bagging on you. Okay. It's just my experience, what I had come across before I became a contractor. Well, just between me and you, Rich, I mean, uh, uh, if you want to get a little political, unions have always been a Democrat backer. And all my voting career, right out of high school, I was more of a conservative Republican. And so uh, I always had the union sending me pamphlets, oh, this is who you need to vote for and this and that there and there was one time where uh i was laid off during the winter and uh had to uh kind of go back to somewhat being a hand i mean they they paid me like foreman scale but they couldn't get me a company truck and i had to go out of town well with me not having actually a company uh, me not being a foreman, all of a sudden their BA showed up, kind of came up to me, asked me the hall, and I told him 185 Sacramento. And he tells me, oh, you got to change your books. You need to, you, you got to come down here to the Fresno uh, hall and join up with them. And I was going, you know, no, I'm not doing that. I go, I'm not, you know, I'd heard whole horror stories about other guys that switched from, you know, hall to hall and their hours being screwed up and stuff there, you know? Right. So, uh, one thing about it though, I, uh, Sacramento backed me up. All of a sudden I went to them and saying, Hey man, they want me to change my books and kind of, uh, you know, here we go a little bit political. All of a sudden the guy from 185 called that guy and said, Hey, I got one of my one of my guys here saying that you're telling him that he needs to change books. And he goes, well, yeah, cause you know, he's down here and he's going to be down here for a while. And, uh, he goes, well, you know, he did tell you there that he's been a foreman most of his career here. Uh, you know, he had to step down, uh, for just a bit. They are making him a foreman. So technically being a foreman, you can't travel, blah, blah, blah. And the guy goes, well, no, I want him. He needs to change his book. And so this guy, while I'm there on the phone, he goes, well, okay. Uh, I'm just bringing some guys up out of your hall that are down here in Sacramento area. I guess I could need to throw the the BA out there and, and uh, get all your guys there to change books down to me. And that was just like dead silence. <laughs> and then next thing you know, he goes, all right, we'll let this one slide. And I was going like, Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, I had all my years already with 185. And like I was telling you before, that time that I did go down to Fresno and I was on the Helms Creek project, I was out of that hall. Well, when I switched to 185, that hall messed up. I got my end of the year deal for my for my pension points and all that there. Right. And it wasn't down. So I had to fight to get those back because that counts for your pension. <laughs> right. You know, so. Yeah, you, you want to make sure that, you, that that stuff is accurate. And, you know, I, I, I believe you and I both still have a lot of friends that are union guys uh you know it's because of uh for one a trade that they're good at and that is union right and two i mean uh uh i'm i'm fortunate to retire with a pension and and uh, um you know i i can't count how many guys that i know there that just bopped around and never got themselves set right there to where you know they're barely living on social security there you know exactly yep no i i think that i think that in a lot of instances the unions unions have a place and back in the the early days you know the you know in pre-40s absolutely you know the the unions were essential 
Um, oh, they were pretty darn strong, man. Yeah, and and they still are. A lot of you know, yeah. you know, you get into the auto workers and and uh, the transportation, and then the uh, you know laborers union. I mean, they're they're you're talking you're talking some pretty strong unions, but they're uh, you know they they do provide a service for those, especially those that really really work. You know, um, I, unfortunately, there's a lot of guys that are sitting in the halls that don't work. You know, and, yeah. and almost don't want to. It's kind of, it just doesn't, I don't know, doesn't make I, sense I, to me. I, I just saw a lot of guys just trying to make enough hours to get by. Yeah. It's like, I didn't, you know, I, I, I did get a few guys where I was able to take underneath my wings and uh, they're still in it to this day. And yes, they will end their career with a, with a union pension there, but uh and in this day and age, I mean, with all this COVID crap and working at home and this and that there and stuff there, just talking to some of the old hands, I mean, I don't understand why some kids, I mean, that aren't school savvy, why they don't think about the trades. The trades are still there. They're still, it's still a good career. Yeah, you're yeah. going to need, we're always going to need electricians. Always going to need plumbers. Always going to need carpenters and metal workers. You know that those those th- those trades are always going to be needed. I mean, um, technology is great, but you know you still have to uh, you have to have the infrastructure for technology to work. Yeah, when it comes down to it. So then, when did you uh, when did you actually get into wheeling yourself i know you went up with your dad and you know camping and hunting fishing that kind of thing but when did you when did you make that that choice well um i think my first car was a 62 impala uh i ended up uh also having a 55 big window with the old original 265 started kind of coming up this way because my parents always liking the crystal basin area and keep taking us camping. And actually my dad knew that I was interested in eventually having a Jeep. And he called me and said, Hey, my small tools guy out here in Woodland, I'm, um, uh, has got a 1969 CJ five for sale. And so Went out there, looked at it. The kid had had it in neutral up on a hill and it rolled away from him and kind of took the tailgate out and kind of buckled the back of the back fender wells there. But so, yeah, actually bought that and kind of tried to straighten it out. And definitely when I first got it all put back together, even though it was pretty much open, Little odd fire V6. Uh, I think it had the T98 four speed in it, model 20 transfer, the old open knuckle. But uh, definitely called a buddy of mine and I knew that he had a, a newer CJ. And I said, Hey, I want to see what this thing does up on the trail. So that would have been uh, pretty much in the early 80s. Okay there uh next vehicle turned right around and bought basically the same vehicle but a little bit different setup in 1970 um that one i pretty much uh kind of took some time and eventually uh uh when russ over at specialized jeep had his jeep shop and then gary had capital jeepers right uh between those two i was just picking their brains and trying to learn what was, what was, what, what, what needed to be, you know, to make it a little bit easier on the trail. Um, but, you know, I look back at them days with 31s and open, open and what, I mean, you know, went through the trail all the way, you know, um, you learn to drive. Yeah. I think, um, Learning from my dad, um, even going with him a couple times and his buddies, I mean, they drive them from, you know, anywhere from Santa Rosa, 
uh, Woodland, Sacramento, go up to the trail, drive through the trail, and drive it home. I mean, so I think learning from my dad saying, hey, you know, that Jeep's more capable. We're going we're gonna to take this line there. So, uh, and then especially once I got my own and actually experiencing it and doing it yourself, you, you know, just, I mean, it was just something that I just thought was awesome there. Um, had a, uh, I think, uh, M, an M, an old military was my last one I had. And uh, now, I mean, it's been kind of my retirement dream. Um, I think we've talked about this before is my 1970 Jeepster Commando that Bob Rogie's helping me build. Right. Um, uh, they're uh, really looking forward to getting back in it there and and maybe even going to some of these places that I've heard about and known my buddy's been there and stuff there but uh but yeah um and especially like when I first got my jeeps I mean that's how I kind of really got my cabin was going up there on a Friday and spinning right next to the bar to where we could just roll out of the bar when Doug would finally kick us out and and uh, get in our jeeps and head to the trail and spend a couple of nights up there. Right. Tom's is uh, is pretty iconic that way. Um, anybody that went up there, especially in the '80s, and started wheeling out of that place, um, understood, still understands how special it was, and and still is. Um, you know, we all miss Doug. That's it's, you know, it's too bad that uh, that he's passed on. But um, his son is now running Tom's. Is that correct? Bill and Denise. Okay. And uh, awesome, awesome people. Um, I uh, I used to struggle with old Doug there on certain things, on keeping things stocked, and and you know trying to even back then when before i even got really super involved um you know like i said most cabin people were involved in some sense but uh always trying to make them have maybe more events or more music or more product or you know and and doug was just content with the way uncle tom's ran at the time but bill and denise uh definitely are are loving it as much as the family has always loved it. Um, you know, without it changing too much. Um, I mean, now we got a card reader up there since we got satellite phone, uh, bill upgraded the router to where we have card up there now. Wow. That's Um, awesome. So, you know, I mean, it used to be cash only, um, a lot of people don't carry a lot of cash with them there. So uh, one thing that I have always done and a lot of our other people have done there, when it was cash, if someone came up and came in there for the first time, heard about it, um, you know, and said, wow, I, I, I don't have cash there, you know. And, and we, you know, I just always said, hey, what kind of beer do you drink or what kind of soda? Here, on me, enjoy a couple of beverages, enjoy the property, come back and see us again. Well, I tell you what, mostly all those people always come back, always remember, bring more friends, pay their bill, and stay and enjoy with some family or with some people that they brought up because they, you know, they just saw, saw the uniqueness of that place there right and it it's just so relaxing and just laid back i mean it's just uh i I remember the first time that i went there to to work um doug was uh needing to get a the fire truck running and i went up there with a friend of mine jim and it was during uh clampers initiation and it was like 
probably not the time to go up there. But it was not as relaxing, and it was not as calming, but it was still a hell of a good time. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Well, like I've always told people, I mean, Uncle Tom's is pretty much mild to wild. Yep. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what you're going to see up there. <laughs> exactly. So let's, but, ta- let's talk a little history on, uh, on Tom's. So give us your, uh, what you know about the history of Uncle Tom's. Well, um, d- definitely started by a gentleman named Tom Markham in 1864. Um, basically, he homesteaded the 40 acres. I'm not real keen on the homesteading amount of acres, but just from my knowledge of all the homesteads that are up in that area, kind of going back into the Pinot Grand area where the shake mill was and Leonardi and, and uh, some of the cow camps, they all seem to be 40 acres. So I don't know if that was a, you know, a thing at that time there. But uh, um, as far as I know, I mean, Tom definitely, I mean, with the gold rush and this and that there, uh seeing that the Rubicon Trail started being used as a traveled way, um, he started seeing means of, instead of just being a trapper, he saw means of the travel way there. So started getting a few more things there. But, uh, and then like, as you've kind of seen, I mean, there was, uh, you know, you had to, Rubicon Springs Hotel, you know, they were advertising, come drink the spring water, uh, heal you and stuff there. And uh, Uncle Tom's basically, I mean, it kind of changed a few times. I mean, a lot of people called it a resort at one time. Uh, some of the priorities there, I mean, Schultz, you know, he, he ran it for a while, uh, you know. Scalari was another person. I believe that some of the people that ran the Wentworth Hotel, I think they came over and and ran it for one of those owners for a while. Um, Basically, I mean, I've learned more of when basically the lawyers got it in in 1922. So this year is 100 years since it's been in the family. Okay. Um, uh, you know, even reading some of, you know, the, the, the article that you did in, in four low on Tom's there, I had not realized that it had burned down twice. I mean, as my knowledge was, is when the lawyers bought it, it was the two story. It was back closer to the meadow away from the road. Okay. And it did burn down on them. So I believe the bar now, where it's at now on the original part of the, which is only our driveway. I mean, that's a part of the original travel loop uh, corner there. Um, that was built in the 30s, redone in the 30s. Okay. There, but uh, um, it's... Really neat. I mean, when I first started going up there with Doug and having a cabin, especially like uh, when the old timers came in and would sit out with a beer on the front porch. I mean, listening to the different cabin people, the different eras of uh, the traveled way there has just always intrigued me and it's always, always interests me there. Um, you know, with, with everything up there. Like I said, I, you know, some of the family with having history over there in the Camino, um, Placerville area, the Pinal Grand and all that there, all that kind of ties into uncle Tom's there, you know? Um, uh, I think everybody supported each other up there, all the other businesses and stuff there. Right. And, Let's talk about a little bit about what Tom's is 
nowadays. It's a kind of a destination for, um, well, especially on like Memorial Weekend and Labor Day Weekend, 4th of July, that kind of stuff. But uh, you have a lot of weddings up there and and reunions and things like that. Um, what else, what other kind of activities, you know, happen? Well, I, I you know, it wasn't, I mean, COVID kind of messed us up uh, as far as our events. I mean, uh, uh, but... Uh, you know, with Bill and Denise, I think I think they want more more events there, uh, more music, uh, more uh, um, uh, more things to do. And you're right, we you know we've never advertised as a wedding venue, but talking with Bill, he goes, "Why not?" You know, um, but just had a wedding there this weekend. Um, and uh, the way the people set it up there, I mean, really neat. It's definitely country. You're off the grid. But um, so one thing that, I mean, I've been kind of wanting to do um, as far as off-road related, it was even have kind of a trail trail kind of fun type deal event there to just raise uh, some money to throw to like Vicky for the work that needs sometimes that needs to be done there to keep that trail open. And like I say, Tom's is supported so much a good support of so much of the off-road community. Right. So then there's uh camping there. Um, if somebody was to drive up from the Bay area or somewhere else and, and want to stay there, they can, are there cabins to rent that kind of thing? Yeah, so there's right now there's 14 total cabins. 13 of them are rented by the year and and we have one uh open for a nightly rental. We do have our camp area down there in the beautiful edge of the meadow. Um we only charge $10 per vehicle. Um with you asking like what's coming up? I mean Bill and I've talked about actually building a couple of more kind of glamping style Absolutely. sections there. I mean, like the old, kind of like what you see up at the old Berkeley camp up by Echo, you know, do like kind of a platform, half, half wood wall, nice big canvas. We're someone and with a cot. So like if we do, which we do have just spur of the moment people, roll in um you know they got a place to crash yep um we have talked about maybe um another cabin or two for you know public rental one thing that's on the books is uh uh we're thinking about getting uh a timber frame back behind the old barn which is the oldest building on the property uh, we're wanting to do make that kind of like almost half stage and half of it as a area to kind of put it, like you say, the old fire truck and we got a dozer up there and multiple other old rigs there that unfortunately sits out during the winter and just collects snow and stuff there. So uh, down in the campground, that's one thing that is happening this summer is at least get a community spigot water down there we've never had water down there so we want to get water down there with one of the automatic shutoffs so the kids just don't leave it because we are on a well yes it is a holding tank and everything's gravity fed so definitely some some neat improvements um to make the visiting experience a little bit more uh better uh so to speak um but uh yeah so our our swag i mean bill and denise um uh is trying to keep all the swag there at all times hats koozies stickers sweatshirts tank tops long sleeve i used to fight with doug there he would only keep t-shirts during the summer and sweatshirts during the winter but and i always told him hey 
people ask for them all the time, you know. So, um, Bill and Denise, uh, like I say, are all about uh, um, some of the improvements there. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I mean, you could remember the era of the old 50s Cervelle propane refrigerators. Um, yep. <laughs> they're pretty much toast. So now, I mean, he even bought another one the other day, and, and we got, you know, Doug, I I talked him into getting the big one that we have there, and plus Bill bought another newer up, you know, better one that we had the old 50s even in the kitchen for us. So, uh, without taking too much of the oldness out of the place there, um, and the way it's been ran, um, it's still going to be ran with just taking care of the traveling way and our off-road community or anybody else that wants to come in. I think that's always been Uncle Tom's deal there is, you know, hoping that the, the people have a good experience and and uh uh you know i have a lot of people that kind of love our campground because it's really not numbered spots um it's beautiful down there in the meadow um it's kind of unique when the cows are in hearing cowbells all the time <laughs> got to kind of watch for the cow patties here and there but um uh you know a lot of people like coming in there instead of uh nothing nothing wrong with the hosted campgrounds up in crystal basin there not trying to bag on them but um I'll, you know we don't really go on uh, curfew music time and stuff there so um you know people come in they might be gone and you know make a trail ride or or go fishing or go to a couple of the other lakes and then come back and have their dinner and then you got this neat bar to come up to and have a couple of beers and play some dice. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So anybody that's listening, that's, uh, that's in the area, you know, if you've got, you know, a vehicle with, uh, and you've got tent camping gear or you've got it, you know, an overlander setup, you know, they've got areas up there to, to set up, to camp out and enjoy the ambiance of uncle Tom's. It's really, it's really a great place. Um, nice and quiet in on the weekdays most of the time. The weekends, sure. the weekends, especially big weekends, um, you know, are are can be very interesting and fun. Um, I've never had a bad time up there, never, absolutely never. <laughs> and I, I used to have one of the cabins up there a long, long time ago, back in the eighties. That's cool. But we. Uh, we really enjoy that area. Every time we come into town and visit my parents or come up to the divide, it's always try to make a trip up there. Um, just, well, it was the couple of days before the, uh, ultra four race down at Prairie city. We, uh, we stopped by on a Sunday and everybody was gone already. And I was hoping to catch you there, but then, uh, saw you at the ultra four. So that was when we talked and I said, Hey, let's, let's do this interview and talk about, you and Tom's. So here we are. I felt honored and I, that's pretty cool. Um, um, yeah, Uncle Tom's uh, definitely uh, has meant a lot to me for many years. And I I just, you know, especially when I became one of the cabin people and, and even before I helped out uh, as much as I did. Um, but... I definitely saw a need uh, um, for how it ran, and I understood why Doug did kind of more of a lower yearly rent, so to speak. There is because he needed he needed help. He needed people to do certain things and 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 uh, to make the place run right there. And I just thought that that itself is a uniqueness there. You know, I mean. Pretty much everybody up there is volunteer. No one's paid. Um, yeah, you know the bartenders make some tips and and uh, but uh, the whole thing for me is uh, definitely. I mean, I um, enjoy the off-road community. Definitely want to get back into it. Looking forward to the new build finishing and and um, even the Jeep. I mean, I dubbed it the 
the UTC build there. I mean, I'm having a special license plate. Uh, Rogi did uh, some neat plasma cutting on my center section there, hoping that the rock lights go down and reflect UTC. And I asked Doug years ago if I could represent Uncle Tom's there. So definitely going to be some artwork on the old Jeepster there, representing Uncle Tom's there that I'd be proud to, to, to have on there. And that, that's going to be mean something to me, you know, special there that he's no longer around and stuff there. Wish I could have got it done before he passed there, but, um, you'll be looking down and know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Doug, uh, I remember working the bar and, um, my tips either went to, um, my adult beverages, but more than likely they would go, Doug would win them during our games of liar's dice. <laughs> he was the king of liar's dice. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I don't know why I kept doing it, but I guess because it was fun. It was, but yeah, he, uh, he made more off of me on tips than he did of me drinking beer up there. That's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I could remember, I mean, when I, when Marcy and I first got, got, uh, the cabin, uh, um, and I just, and I was still in Elk Grove, just coming up on the weekends to hang out. And, um, I'd bring up 200 bucks every weekend, hundred to spend in the bar on beer and whatever. And at least a hundred to play dice with Doug and he'd take it all usually. Yep. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> There's probably a lot of us that that happened to. <laughs> I don't know anybody. I never saw anybody get over on him on Liar's Dice. Yeah, you know, I'm sure it happened once or twice, but not very often. Well, I think he was just so good at reading people and know how they almost. I mean, he 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 taught me how to mix it up there. I mean, he said that that you know I was just too easy there, and then I mean he's the one that actually taught me how to play liars in a better way. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's uh he did me too. Cause I had no clue how to play it to begin with. And that was probably a, a mistake cause he wasn't going to show me everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. So hey, Rance, I want to say thank you so much for, for coming on board and spending some time with us and, and talking about your life and uncle Tom's. And I just want to say, anybody that's listening to this, if you're going up on Jeepers Jamboree, um, if you're going up to the Rubicon for any reason, make sure you come up through Georgetown, or even if you're going Ice House, make the trip over Heartless, come down to Uncle Tom's, have a cold beer, enjoy the atmosphere, and enjoy some history. Thanks, Rich. I really appreciate it. All right, Rance. You take care. And uh, before I leave and we get back up on the road, I'll see you at Tom's. Maybe this weekend. Right. You're going to be up there this weekend, aren't you? Um, I am. I It is my weekend to work. My wife will definitely be helping me because uh, we got uh, Island and Black and White and a food truck coming up. So it's it's definitely going to be busy. Okay. Well, we're going to swing by and probably say hello. So. All right, man. All right. We'll talk Thanks to you again, later. Rich. Thanks, Rance. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Big Rich. Please let your friends know about this podcast. Let us know what you think of Conversations with Big Rich. Please forward ideas to me, contacts of those that I should attempt to interview, leave a rating on any of the services you found us on. We look forward to your comments and ideas. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and grab all the gusto you can.